Turn in God's Word this morning to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, where we see that teaching that we have just sung come to light as well, but we see it in the, the mercy of our God. Romans chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. Let's hear then God's breathed out word to us this morning. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father, Lord and Amen, we thank you for this portion of your word, your word that you have written and we read. We ask that you will be with Pastor Bob as he ministers on this word, that it may be brought to our hearts. This we ask in your name alone. Amen. Amen. So we're dealing with the attributes of God, for those of you who are visitors with us, and this is uh, the fifth sermon we've had on God's attributes, three of which now deal with God as love. So if you need to put today's sermon in context, you need to go back a couple of weeks as we looked at and that text from 1 John chapter 4 where we are told God is love. Last Lord's Day, we considered again 1 John chapter 4, where it speaks of perfect love. So God not only is love, God has perfect love for us as well, and all that that entails and means. But this morning, as we consider God's love, we also have to consider that God's love is a just love. And so that's the the message of this morning, God's just love. And we consider it under these three points. First of all, that God is just. Secondly, that God's justice is loving. And thirdly, God's just love 
than to you and I. God is just. God's justice is loving. God's just love. If we turn back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32, as Moses has just finished that second reiteration of the law, he has just told the people again what God's will for their lives is, recorded first of all for us at Mount Sinai, and now as they're about to enter the land of Canaan. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, we read the following. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God is just. God's word reminds us of this. And when the Bible uses the understanding of the word justice or of just in terms of God, it means in a legal sense. There is a legality about this. There, there is the legality of, of that which has been the law, that which has been given. That's why we read of it there in Deuteronomy chapter 32. The law has been given. Sin has to be accounted for. And in a declaration, in a legal sense, there have been charges brought... And God in his justice, God who is just, has made a determination in regards to humanity. We are sinners. Every single one of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are thereby worthy of death, of damnation, of eternal condemnation. God is just. Nothing about the love of God diminishes the fact that God is just. We live in a world, we live in a society, we live in a culture today that, that would seek to undo that justice of God. How many, for example, would, would have us think that somehow the God of the New Testament is not the God of the Old Testament? We're dealing with two different gods. Certainly they cannot be one and the same. Yet we as believers in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ confess, no, that God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. There is no distinction. There is no difference. He didn't change. I, Jehovah, change not. He didn't go through some metamorphosis and has emerged now a different God than he was. No, God is just. And we see that justice so clearly given to us in the New Testament. We see it clearly here in Romans chapter 5. God is just. The word that scripture uses here can also be associated, at least in the Hebrew, with the understanding of righteous. That, that 
There is no sin involved in the justice of God. There is no waywardness to this justice. There is no perversion of this justice. There is no buying God off in terms of his justice. You see, when we turn to, well, let's do this. Let's go to Psalm 89. When we go to Psalm 89, the psalmist solves the tension for us. Go down to verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. See, in Scripture there is no tension between the justice of God and the love of God. That, that's man's imposition. We're the one who, who comes in and, and tries to somehow divide God up. Somehow to, to put at, at odds the fact that God is love and God is just. And that, well, those two things are just antithetical to one another. They, they just can't exist side by side. Yet the psalmist is telling us very clearly in Psalm 89, they do. His justice... His righteousness exists with his love. His justice is love and his love is justice. They, they are not two different components. In God they are singular. In God they are one. So as we think about the love of God, we can never think about God's love devoid of the fact that God is just. And we can never think about the justice of God apart from the fact that God is love. And particularly for us as believers. Particularly for us. We have to make sure we understand this teaching of Scripture. For when we get this wrong, we do great harm to the gospel. When we get this wrong, we insult Christ. When we get this wrong, we shouldn't be at this table. God is just. Now, in what, in what way do we understand then that God's justice is loving? How, how can this justice of God, this righteousness of God, this condemnation of God of man's sin be loving? Well, because it's fair. It's loving to be fair. And that's what God is being. God isn't saying, hey, here's a group of people I'm not going to think of as sinners. 
Here's another group of people I'm not going to think of as sinners, even though they are. I, I, there are some people I'm just, I'm just going to turn my back on the fact that they're sinners. I, I'm going to just pretend that they're not sinners. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just going to forget all about the fact that they sin against me on a daily basis. Other people, <laughs> no, they're sinners, man. I'm going to remember every single one. Would that be fair? No, that would not be fair. Would that be loving? No, that is not loving. That's why another term that keeps coming up is the term equitable. Such as we find in Psalm 98 verse 9 that, when, that the king is coming and he will judge the peoples with equity. The Old Testament continually comes back to that. It speaks of the reign of David as being one of equity. What does that mean? It means uprightness. That, that when God judges, he does so in uprightness. He does so with a straightness. He does so in truth. He does so orderly. He does so with integrity. But it also means that one judges according to the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. To judge with equity means to judge the spirit of the law and not necessarily the letter of the law. God is equitable in his justice and that equitable is loving. God, as it were, doesn't just look at the act. God looks at the heart. Well, what a loving thing of God to do. That God just doesn't just look at the external. God looks at the internal. Well, he's cutting us a break. No, no. Because you see, God's word also says that the ponderings of our heart are but evil continually. See, in God's justice, he says, okay, I see the act, but what was the intent? Oh, the intent was only evil continually as well. But do you see that equity of God as a loving thing? I, I often have, have told folks when we go through, for example, the book of Leviticus, to be a priest of that day and to not mess up one of those sacrifices must have been a, a, a tremendous, right? Because you got sacrifices and you got to do certain things with certain sacrifices and certain parts with certain things. What if you were the priest and you messed up one day? You didn't mean to, right? It wasn't intentional. God says, I look at the heart. I understand. The problem is, when he looks at our hearts, he finds nothing but evil. But yet, that act of God, and the way in which God administers his justice, is not only fair, in that we receive that which we deserve, 
but it is also equitable because God looks even at the intent. And, according to Romans 2 verse 11, God does not show favoritism. God shows no partiality in this judgment of his. That's a loving thing. God doesn't say, oh, because of your skin color, I judge you differently than other humanity. Because you're male or because you're female, I judge you differently. Be because you speak a certain language, I judge you differently. Because you reside in a certain nation, I judge you differently. God doesn't show favoritism, and that's a loving thing. Would it not be unloving of God to say, hey, everybody with black skin doesn't have to deal with my condemnation and wrath against your sin. Everybody who speaks Russian, you're free and clear. If you live in the nation of Japan, you're free and clear. As long as you got your nationality in Japan, I, I hold no sins against you. There, wouldn't the rest of us be raising our hand going, wait a minute, hold on a second. That isn't, you're showing favoritism. God says, no, I don't show favorites. Now the downside is, that means nobody gets a break because of their skin color. Nobody gets a break because of the language they speak. Nobody gets a break because of their bank account. Nobody gets a break because of their education. Nobody gets a break because of the state they live in. Nobody gets a break because of the nation they live in. God shows no favorites. And that is a loving act. Think about it in a household. Right? If one child can continually violate the rules, but we say, because you're the number three child, we hold no crime against you. Where are the rest of the kids in the family going to go? Wait a minute. That's pretty unfair. There's no way I can ever be the number three child. There's no way that can ever happen. That individual is always going to be child number three. I can't change that. Mom and Dad, that's unloving of you. Yeah, it is. That's why we're told repeatedly in Scripture, God shows no favorites. When it comes to God's justice, when it comes to the way in which God holds all mankind accountable before Him, He shows no favorites. Now, there's a segment of society that would want to say, well, that's unfair. No, it isn't. He's treating us all the same. And it is loving of God 
in his justice to not only discipline, as Proverbs 3 tells us and then is quoted again in the book of Hebrews, for God disciplines those he loves. Discipline is not the absence of love. Oh, it can be done that way. Discipline can be meted out without love. It can be harsh. It can be cruel. It can be unloving. But not God. Why? Because God is love. So even when he's dispensing justice, it's loving. Even when he's disciplining, it is loving. Even when he's punishing, it is loving. Let me give you the school illustration. We've probably all had it. Maybe you were the reason for it. I won't hold you accountable for that or myself at this point. We've all sat in the classroom, many of us. A couple of the kids do something wrong while the teacher is out of the room. Teacher walks back in the room. Who did this? Nobody says anything. Okay? then none of you can go out for noon hour. Hmm. Is that loving to punish us all for that? Hmm. We probably say, I don't, I don't think that's very equitable. I don't think that's very fair. But if the teacher comes back and says, well, you know, I was standing outside of the room and, you know, Fred and George, I, I know you were the two guys who did it. You two guys have to stay in at noon. What do the rest of us do? Whew! They're punishing the right people. The right people are, are getting it for that which they did. And we look at that as a good thing. We, we look at that as a, a good thing. It's unloving if we get punished for it because we didn't do it. So even when God dispenses his punishment, it is a loving thing to do because God is punishing those who are guilty. Now just so we figure this out, it started with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question we read. Who's guilty? All of us. There is no sin that we can commit that is outside of the punishment of God. You see where this is building to? This is building to Romans chapter 5. Because what does Romans chapter 5 tell us? It tells us about God's just love. Look at it again. Let's go back to Romans chapter 5 now. Verse 8. But God shows his love. How? How does God show his love? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
See, the very opposite of God turning his back on our sin, that's not what we are. We're not people, okay? We're Christians. Why are you Christians? God turned his back upon my sin. No, he didn't. My sin has been fully paid for. God's justice has been fully satisfied. Every single sin that you and I have ever committed, Christ paid for. It's not God said, yeah, I'll just forget about the fact that Bob's a sinner because I like Bob. He's so nice. No way. God didn't say, oh, Bob, he, he comes from Dutch ancestry. We, we let all of those people in. No. Oh, Bob's a minister. Of course he's forgiven. No. God shows no favoritism. My sin, as well as your sin, needs to be paid for. That is the justice of God. The justice of God demands that our sin is paid for. But God's love is shown in his justice. God's love to you and me is shown in the fact he didn't just throw our sin away. He didn't just dismiss it. He just didn't forget about it. It was paid for. By the blood of his son. Romans 5.8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what does that do? Verse 9. Since then, we have now been Oh, look at the term, justified. See, this death of Christ does involve the justice of God. This death of Christ is the justice of God on display. It is the signal of his love to you and I. It is the signal of his grace to a dying, condemned world. And it is the signal of his love in that those who reject that Christ Fully pay for all of their sins. For all in eternity. The justice of God. That's what Christ is doing on that cross. He is appeasing the justice of God. He becomes the, what's the term from last week? The propitiation. He becomes the means by which God's justice is satisfied. God's justice against my sin all of my sin against your sin. That's the beauty of the cross because it demonstrates to us God didn't stop being the God of justice. God is still the God of justice. And every day, 
I need to be reminded that God is the God of justice and that Christ fully paid for those sins. And every sin that I commit today or tomorrow is a sin that costs the blood of Christ. Oh Lord, keep me. Keep me from sin. Keep me from those willful sins. Keep me, Lord. For I know the cost of that sin. You didn't just wink at it. You just didn't go, oh yeah, yeah. That's okay, we let that go. No, I have to hear the cry of my Savior in every sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because Bob just sinned. The justice of God is that which instead of driving us away from God, from the love of God, drives us to the love of God. It's the display of God's love. That justice that is taking place upon that cross is a display of the love of God. Because sin, my sin, yours, is being paid for in his blood. Verse 9, it saves. It saves. Since we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him. From what? The wrath of God. The condemnation of God. The judgment of God. Why? Because God's no longer wrathful? No. He's as wrathful then as he is anywhere else in Scripture. He is as wrathful today against my sin and against your sin as he ever has been. But... His blood of His Son saves us from that wrath. So that, what does He go on to say? For if we were, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. I'm now reconciled to God. Why do I need to be reconciled? Because God stopped being just? No. It's because God is just that I need to be reconciled. And Christ has brought about that reconciliation by becoming that propitiation, that sacrifice, that atonement. That only means by which the justice of God against our sin can be satisfied. And that, my friends, is the gospel. And that is the first priority of the church outside of worshiping and glorifying this great and glorious God is to bring that gospel, that message. God is a God of justice. But in his justice, he is loving. And his justice is never absent of love. And his love is never absent of his justice. And every day you and I are to live in the constant awareness of what 
it cost for God to say, you and I are now at peace. And when we come to this table in a few moments, we come to this table proclaiming what? Proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. What does that mean? That I always, when I take this meal, I remember the crucified body and shed blood of my Lord because God is a God of justice and my sin deserves what Christ received. And I proclaim that. And I proclaim it. And I proclaim it. And I proclaim it. This is not just some trite thing we go through once a month. This is not some just some church ritual. This is a proclamation of the gospel. That God in his just love put all my sin upon his son. He rejected him. He abandoned him. He turned away from him. He forsook him. And his son suffered all of the physical, emotional, and spiritual agony that one can endure. What he did in a moment, what he took upon himself in those moments, is the weight of all eternal condemnation on me. I proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and takes me and you home to be with him in glory forever. Father, thank you. For your just love. And that in your grace. You have sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our lives. To open our eyes. To cause us to see. To bring about that great work of being born again. So that we are no longer. What we were. But we are now new creatures in Christ. But Father, help us never to look past what it took. And as we come to this meal, help us to remember, to proclaim, and to celebrate your grace in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray and God's people say, amen. We